<laughs> this little girl was watching her mother intently. She's just watching her do the dishes at the sink. And uh, she couldn't help but notice that her mother had dark hair and, and she couldn't help but notice she had a few white ones uh, she saw in there. And she said, Mama, how come some of your hairs are white? She said, well, every time you do something bad, you make me sad, make me cry, it makes one of my hairs turn white. <coughs> she thought about it intently for a while, and she goes, Mama, how come all the grandma's hairs are white? <laughs> Praise God. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us. Thank you for this time of gathering and sharing your love, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your precious word breaks every yoke. Thank you, Lord, for using me today as a vessel to speak to the hearts and minds of everyone who hears this message, either in this in this company here or by some other means today or in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, I still have my cross up in the front yard. It says, He is risen. And I leave it there until Pentecost. So people will ask, will I actually take it out on the day of ascension, which is 40 days after the resurrection. If you know what I'm talking about, <clears throat> we'll just, if you don't, you're going to find out right now. Amen. <laughs> Tell me when I find it. <laughs> Acts chapter 1. There you go. Acts chapter 1. I'll read the first eight verses. In the first book, O Theophilus, this is a book written by the good doctor, Luke. He was not Jewish. Um, he wrote the Gospel of Luke as well. And so that's what he's talking about in the first book. I see. And then now this is the, the second book. Okay. So in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is 40 days after he was risen from the dead. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together and asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Praise God. So much in that. So much in that. Jesus talked about times and seasons. They wanted him to come and, and set up his kingdom at that time. And they asked him if it was time for him to do that. And he says, it's none of your business. <laughs> what you're going to do is you're going to wait here in Jerusalem. These are, these are guys that have been with him and seen his entire ministry, which is only three and a half years. He prepared 30 years for a three and a half year ministry. And they had seen it all. They had been uh, empowered and due with power by him um, to go out and cleanse uh, people from leprosy and, and uh, open blind eyes and heal the sick. Amen? Amen. But, but he said, you're not ready. Even after being with them for three and a half years, teaching them for 40 days after he was risen about the kingdom of God, which is our topic for the next 30 years. <laughs> and he told them, you're going to stick around and wait for the promise. The Holy Spirit. In other words, it's something that he had to have. He was baptized in the River Jordan and at Bethany by his cousin John the Baptist. And when he was baptized in water, he was also baptized in the Holy Ghost. The dove that came and landed on him. It seemed like a dove. So he had nothing that we don't have or that we don't have access to. And he set aside all of his other privileges as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and creator of everything that you know so that he could become like us in order to qualify himself to be our kinsman redeemer. Amen. Amen. And he said, now, that, now you need to wait for your turn to receive what I had that empowered me to do what I did. Because now you're going to go and do the same things that I did and greater things you're going to do because I go to the Father and now we can send him to you. Because didn't John the Baptist say, hey man, I'm, I'm just baptizing you with water, but this dude... He's going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so this is what he's talking about. Wait for that. Because I know as you think you know a lot, Peter. <laughs> I know you think a lot, Peter. And you know a lot, but you don't. What you need is God working through you. You, you, you have a lot of head knowledge now. But what you need is the power and authority that goes with it that comes from only above. Amen. So you're going to be my witnesses. And he just he said in Jerusalem and, and Samaria. And basically, he was talking to us. He's going to hear, hear in, your, in your own home, in your own friend group, which is the hardest places first. You, try, you get tried where you're going to get struck down a little bit first. And you're going to lose a little confidence. You're going to run back to God and stay dependent on him. Amen. Amen. He's going to make sure you realize you need me more Amen. than you thought. Yes. All, when, you, when you got this good news and you got all excited about it, you thought, I can't wait to tell everybody I know. And then you went and started 
calling them up or running into them and they, they weren't interested mm -hmm. and it broke your heart. <laughs> it's going to happen. He said, and then, and then it's in the regions he described positions further and further out like this. And you know what? The further away you get from that, that hometown, the easier it is. Yes. Yeah. That's why you hear stories of people going to South America and the Amazon or in Africa or places like, like that, that and they have, and everybody's, they get a, they get a hundred thousand uh, people saved and, and everybody's healed and all that. Why? Because they're hungry for God. Yes. It's no different than here. But see, as long as people think they can live without God, they'll try. You got a good job, you got good insurance, you know. We tend to run to Google before we run to God. Amen. But you take away all those things and people will start to look up. Amen. I want to get you to, I'm going to ask you to pray about something today. Excuse me if I have to do this a lot. But the church is powerful. You are children of God. You have no idea how powerful you are. You have no idea the authority you wield. Just with your words. God created, your father created you in his likeness. God is a spirit and you are a spirit with a soul, mind, will, and emotions in a body. And he created everything we know with his words. And you're creative being too. You're creating tomorrow with your words today. It's all in seed form, just like a farmer. He sows tomato seeds, he's gonna get tomatoes, not corn. <laughs> you sow love, you're gonna get love in return. You sow bitterness and anger and ugly, you're gonna get that back too, you see? violence, all that. I want you to pray about something. You might say, well, this is awfully political, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't watch television. I don't, I used to be more political. I'm not, now I don't see the difference. There's only, there's only Bible, there's only Jesus, the kingdom of God, and then the world. You see? But at the end of May, in Geneva, Switzerland, they're going to be voting on something at this uh, World Health uh, uh, meeting. And you've heard of the, the WHO, uh, not the band, but the World Health Organization, the one that uh, lied and got caught about all this stuff about COVID and everything like that. Well, I just went through that stuff after three and a half years and I'm really mad at the devil and I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not happy at all that I, I let that stuff creep into my house. It won't happen again in Jesus' name. <laughs> but it's wicked. It's evil. It's, it's bad. And let me tell you, that was created by man. And listen, the World Health Organization is just a subsidiary of the United Nations. What they're trying to do um, is uh, this administration... First thing they did was put us right back into it. We've gotten out of it. They put us right back into it. And what it's trying to do is get let turn over our sovereignty, our authority as a nation to a one world government type thing. 
which is demonic, straight from the Bible. Amen. Amen. And they will be able to determine, um, they'll be able to determine what constitutes a state of emergency, uh, a pandemic. And they're already talking about the next one, when the next one comes. Because, you know, so they're speaking it, <laughs> which they shouldn't be. Uh, but they'll be able to control vaccines, vaccine mandates, and travel, your travel, and medicines, and your access to them, and, and they'll limit options, um, and um, it, it will allow monitoring of every aspect of your life and surveillance of every part of your, your world. You see what I'm saying? People don't want that. You, if they think, think they do, they don't, you know? Um, because they, what they're really after is this. This is what they're after right here. They don't want this. Because what came through Jesus Christ? Grace and truth. And it's the truth that sets people free. It's not the truth that's in this word that's just sitting on your nightstand. It's the known truth that's applied to your life that sets you free. But they want to put a stop to that because then... You notice that's why places like, you know, we have, I just saw, uh, met with a bunch of uh, uh, ministers from Russia who live in, uh, have a church in Seattle now, but they were, they were persecuted and were going to be in prison for, for preaching this word. You know, the countries like uh, China and places like that, you don't even think about it. You can go to jail. I mean, you already know that in Muslim countries and things like that, they can kill you. But you wouldn't believe that, like even in London, you you, you go to preaching this on the street, you're going to go straight to jail. You understand what I'm saying? I'm gonna, I got good news here. Hold on. <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, the truth needs to come from the pulpit, right? People don't get understanding of things unless we talk about it and, under, and and you have to put it all into a spiritual view this is not about people we have people are not our enemies are they our battle is not against flesh and blood it's against the spiritual authorities and power which is satan and his very organized army yes. i'm not trying to give that loser any credit but he does have an army and it's organized and he knows this word better than you do and he disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, he don't come as a bad guy. He comes as a good guy. <clears throat> and listen, it's the spirit of Antichrist, this one world government. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. It's not what this message is about. This is just like a, a public service announcement. <laughs> In Revelation chapter 13, we, you don't have to go over there, but you can write that down. We will lose the sovereignty of this nation. The United States will lose its sovereignty at some point to the Antichrist. Because it says that he will be giving control over every tongue and nation and tribe for a time. Amen. But not now. Not now. So don't be too concerned about that. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I encourage you to read the whole chapter. The whole book. Uh, but the Holy Spirit. 
by and through the church, which is you. This is where I'm getting to the good part. And, and I need you to believe this is, is what's restraining that from happening now. It's the, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. Yes. The Antichrist himself has not taken, um, and not, has not placed himself on the, the throne and called himself God yet. But it's you, the church, and your prayers that, and the Holy Spirit that is restraining him from having his way in this world right now for a time. So when the rapture occurs, when the church is removed, then it's going to be a sad day for this world. So that's, you are the one restraining all of the evil that the enemy wants to bring upon this world, which will happen in the end times. Um, so... We're going to keep praying and keep praying for our nation, pray for every nation. There's 194 nations in the United Nations. They all get one vote for this World Health Organization deal. One vote. A little tiny country, Zambia or somewhere in Africa, last time stopped this from, from them to, from taking control. But we need to be praying about this, praying for everyone to just see the truth, for the lights to come on and for them to understand what this really means. Because they're always going to paint things like this out to be a, a good thing. And they're really not. It's a bad thing. You never want to turn over control to governments and bigger government and things like that. Because all it, all it does is take the, the corruption that people hated in the in the free market and it takes it and puts it into a protected centralized government corrupted government and corrupted military which are less intelligent than the people in the free market and they're gonna and they're never gonna give it up once you give them control you see so we don't want to ever lose that freedom you want to be able to move about as you wish and worship as you wish and and uh and that's that's what they're trying to remove. So pray against that. Pray that uh, people will see the light and vote correctly at the end of May, because this this restraining that we're doing through our prayers, through the Holy Spirit, it's it's good. It's it's what's protecting marriage in in our culture and and, and limiting abortions and uh, and uh, helping protect Israel and. Uh, let me, let me just tell you this, the, the, the World Health Organization, the three top contributors, there will be earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars in the end times. <laughs> the three top contributors to the World Health Organization, the United States, Bill and Linda Gates, China. That right there ought to tell you something. Okay. I'm going to get off of that now. <laughs> Praise God. In John chapter 17, on that fateful night in Jesus' life before he was arrested and hung on the cross. In John chapter 17, verses 21 through 23, Jesus asked the Father in a prayer that we would be unified. Talking about his disciples first and then all of those who would believe on him through their words and so he was talking about us the church that we would be one as he and the father are one that we would be one with them and now 
thank God that Jesus did what he did, we have come to that. I want to read to you a beautiful story um, out of John, just a couple of chapters over, in chapter 21 of the Gospel of John. Um, and I want to show you something that the Lord showed me by revelation that I've never heard anyone else before or since uh, say, but God assured me that it was right. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. Um, this, is, this is where Jesus appears after he was raised from the dead. How, how many of you know Peter? You remember when Peter just said, I'm going fishing, man. Just, you know, I can't handle all this. And he went fishing, went back to what he knew. And they were out fishing all night. And, and you know, it, it occurs to me, they weren't very good fishermen without Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Only time they ever caught fish was when Jesus showed up. But they had been out fishing all night. These seven disciples and uh, and Jesus was as they were coming in they didn't catch anything and they were about a hundred yards offshore and there was someone up on the beach and he had a fire going and some fish on the fire and some bread or whatever and he hollered out to them if they had any fish and uh, they said no, and uh, he said, "Well, cast cast the net on the other on the right side of the boat, and you will find some." So they cast it over on the the right side, and then they weren't able to haul it in because they had such a heavy load. This is not the first time Jesus had done this for them, is it? And when that happened, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You notice that's in the Gospel of John, and John wrote that about himself five times. <laughs> but that's good to have a revelation of how much God loves you. Yeah. I'm going to tell you what, before this day is over, I'm going to encourage you in something right there. Because that's what God's been talking to me about this week. But he said, that's the Lord. It's the Lord. And when he said that, Peter basically naked because he had stripped down for fishing, but he had, you know, he had something on, but he dove in and just swam to shore. This is the same Peter who had denied the Lord three times on the night of his betrayal and broke his heart. And he was dejected and felt rejected and probably didn't know what to think. I'm sure he felt very condemned. You know, he probably felt not that far away from where Judas ended up. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I love this special, what I call breakfast on the beach with the Lord. So in verse seven, it says, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped from work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the full net of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. 
So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. Notice it was Simon, it was Peter who went and hauled the net in, full of large fish. And then it says 153 of them. Now listen, there's nothing in this Bible by accident. Mm -hmm. 153 fish. And this is one of, the, oddly enough, one of the first things that I started seeking the Lord about. What's that number for? Because numbers are, from the beginning of our my true relationship with the Lord Jesus, after I stopped faking being a Christian and became a real one. <laughs> I tell you, in my book, I opened it up. I was baptized a couple of times, once drunk, and all I got was wet. <laughs> but there came a time when I really did get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and in love with the Lord. And, uh, and anyway, I started asking him about this. Anyway, it says, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Couldn't break the net. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him who you are. They knew it was the Lord. And then he asked Peter, after breakfast, he asked him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter answered in the affirmative, of course, and he asked him this three times. And the third time he asked him, Peter began to weep because he knew what, God, what the Lord was doing. Almost slipped and said, God, it was the same thing. It is God, it is Jesus. But what he was doing was he had denied him three times, so he gave him a chance to three times accept him and tell him that he loved him, and it was a beautiful thing. And it made him weep. And every time he told him to feed my sheep, Jesus loves you so much, he was thinking about you even then. Amen? Amen. But I learned right off, because I was born 5565, five, the youngest of five. And I started learning about the grace of God and it began to set me free because I was so full of condemnation and self-loathing and just the terrible things and the past and the baggage and all the junk that came with me when Jesus got me. And he had to begin to start teaching me about grace. And I learned that the number five is the number for grace. You got Father, Son, Holy Ghost, creation into which entered corruption which we were stuck on for. Nothing we could do about it. And then came redemption. Or the grace. So the five is the number for grace. One is the number for unity. Or oneness. That Jesus had prayed for. In John chapter 17. And then three is for the Holy Trinity. Anytime you see. A scripture where you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost all trying to get involved. It's like a, a godly jealousy where they all want to be a part of it. And they, you know, it's kind of fun. But that's what the Trinity is. So he just showed to me that he was showing Peter and he was showing the rest of them that he had gotten his prayer answered. And that we were finally, one, unified by the grace of God. And... Uh, that's a beautiful thing. Amen. 
God bless you. Thank you. So Jesus always gets his prayers answered. Amen. <laughs> because he always prays the will of the Father. And we know that if we pray the will of the Father, that we have the answers to our prayers as well. But you have to believe it. Grace is simply the unearned, unmerited favor and blessing and acceptance and provision of God toward uh, all of us who put our trust in him as uh, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Grace is everything that he established through his atoning sacrifice on the cross. If it wasn't accomplished through the cross 2,000 years ago, then you're not going to get it now by begging and pleading with God to do it for you. And anything that was accomplished by Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf 2,000 years ago, you don't have to beg and plead with God to do for you. All you have to do is pray and then begin to thank him for it because it's already done. And the answer is yes. Amen. Yes and amen. All 8,000 promises of God toward you that are found in this book the answer is yes and amen in Christ. <clears throat> if you can believe. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Five letters. Look at that. Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 called a child to himself and he put him in the midst and he said, truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Why do we need to become like children? So that we can fall down on the floor in the grocery store and throw a fit if we don't get a candy at the checkout line? <laughs> no. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the humility that it takes to be, to, to have that, that, that awe, that, that ability to have great faith and just, just childlike faith. You know? When you, when you believe that your mom or dad can take on the world and, and you put your full confidence and, and assurance in them providing for you and protecting you and some of you, some of us maybe found out that wasn't quite true. And, and so that's why it's very hard sometimes like to go into prisons and things and minister to, to young men where... You want to go in there and you, you don't want to start with that message about a loving father, believe me. That's not the best place to do that. You need to, they do need to know that, but it's not always the best place to start if you want to get their attention because some of them are there because they never knew what a loving father was. If they ever knew him at all and when they did, <laughs> the last thing he ever was was loving. You see what I'm saying? I, I don't even know who my father was. But I have a lot of friends and I've met people in prisons and other settings and situations and friends that I used to have on the streets that tell me, man, you're so lucky. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying. Could be worse, right? So anyway, 
the truth is we do have a loving father in heaven and he's good he's good he's always good he's only good he is love as a matter of fact amen and I got news for you the world always wants us to to try and be good enough there's so much pressure to be better to you do good, get good, do bad, get beat, right? Performance-based acceptance. So we get conditioned to that in this world. And that's not how the kingdom of God works. You can't be good enough for God. Not on your own. Not on your own. God's law and holiness are perfect. And everyone and everything in his presence must be as well. It's like a, I've used the example before, it's like a plate glass window. When you break a plate glass window, it shatters into a million pieces. You can't repair that. <laughs> it has to be replaced, right? You can't just fix it up. And Jesus didn't come to just fix us up. When we were born again, when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we became a, a new creation, a new person in our spirit, which we can't discern with our minds, will, and emotion. That's our soul. And then this body is just a vehicle. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 explains that we're three-part beings. But the gospel isn't a self-help program. Nothing against anything like that if it helps somebody, but I've got a better program. It's a call to relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Most of you aren't old enough. Oh, yes. Yeah, some of y'all are. <laughs> I'm getting older, so I'm used to saying, y'all aren't probably old enough. And I look down like, yeah, we got a good mixture here. But back in the, oh, in the 70s, everything was about truckers and truck drivers and and. CB radios and scanners and all that. And, uh, you learn to talk on these ra these CB radios, and one of the, the main the first thing that everyone ever ever learned was ten four, good buddy. That means I don't know you're in agreement. Like a ten four, I understand. I get it. I heard you loud and clear or something like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm just saying that so you remember this scripture, Romans ten four. Say say ten four, good buddy. Alright, Romans 10, 4 says, For Christ, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. It doesn't say Christ is the end of the law. Although he did fulfill the law. But it's what it's saying is Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That means that Jesus is the end of good behavior as a means to try to obtain or achieve right, uh, achieve right standing with God. Amen. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying? Yes. So Jesus is the end of the law as a means to obtain righteousness or right standing with God. So he did away with that. Yes. Nailing it to the cross. All that did was point out your flaws and errors. You know, the, the, the mirror... Of, uh, of God's law is perfect and holy and it can show you your sin 
but it had no ability to fix it. You see what I'm saying? I could go into the bathroom uh, and I could uh, and I could break off a piece of the mirror and try to, and because and, I could see I need to shave with that mirror, right? And I could break off a piece of, and try to shave with it, but all I'm going to end up is a bloody mess. <laughs> see what I'm saying? <laughs> James 2.10 says, whoever keeps um, the whole law but just fails at one point of it is guilty of the whole thing. Oh, no. So you see, that's why you, out on the street, you meet people who talk about Christian. Well, I try to live by the Ten Commandments. And say, well, they can name maybe two or three of them. And they've broken those. What they're telling you is I try to be the best I can. And surely that's good enough. I'm, at least I'm better than those Christians that live next door. And God must be grading on a curve. He's not. His, his, his standard is total perfection. Amen. Now listen, I for one, I don't foot that bill. I don't meet that requirement. Do any of you? They are not in and of myself. So I, have, I either better be perfect or have a savior who is. Amen. <laughs> and so I found one and the only one and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> That's a good place to shout. Yes. For the wages of sin is death, and that means anything. And it wasn't just the Big Ten. You know, they came up with like 634 other laws to add on top of that. that just, they weren't satisfied with being stupid by claiming that they could keep the first ten. <laughs> and, of course, we know Moses was the first one to break all ten, didn't he? <laughs> you know what's funny? You want to look something up? God is fun, folks. You want to look up something funny? I can't tell you the scriptures, but this is one of the things that I studied out. Because, <laughs> but <clears throat> when when God first did the first uh, two tablets, the Ten Commandments, you know God God chiseled out those those uh, those rocks out of the out of the mountain, the tablets, I mean, and then He wrote on them the Ten Commandments. The second time after Moses broke them because he got angry, he, he, made, he made Moses carve those tablets out of the second time. <laughs> and then he said, you bring, you cut two more and bring them to me and I'll ride on them again. <laughs> I, love, I, I love that. Isn't that just like a, a good daddy who loves, loves his son? He said, okay, you're going to learn, son. <laughs> you, you do these two and you see how you like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to skip a whole bunch of stuff here because I'm afraid you know, my problem is that I, uh, I have trouble ever getting to the things I really want to say <laughs> and I'm not going to let that happen today <clears throat> even if I'm a little delirious it's, I'm going to get I'm going to get in what the Lord told me to say this morning when I was um uh, when I was trying to get up here to see y'all because I love you and he loves you. <clears throat> Again, 10-4, good buddy. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for, for, for everyone who believes, isn't he? So no more trying to be good enough to earn his acceptance 
right? Or his love. He loves you in spite of you. He loves you no matter what you do. Now, am I saying, see, this is where, this is where the truth needs to come in from John 1, 17. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ about the truth about grace. Because grace is not a license to sin. If I go and sin, it doesn't change God's love for me at all. That's good news. It doesn't change the way you feel about me because it wasn't based on my good works anyway. It was based on me putting my trust in Jesus' finished works. So when God looks at me, he, doesn't, he no longer sees fallen Adam. He sees Jesus Christ. Everything Jesus did has been credited to my account. And let me tell you this, knowing that God has forgiven all my sins, past, present, and future, because of Jesus, doesn't make me want to go sin against him. It breaks my heart when I do. That's a fact. That's true grace. The grace of God is a teacher. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, but not all men are saved. So we're not all saved just by grace. It's grace through faith. We have to put faith in that grace, don't we? Yeah. But it says that the grace teaches us to live godly lives. And that's interesting. So grace is a teacher. So it's not something, it's not a license to sin, but it's a it's a, it's a schoolmaster, a teacher that teaches us how to overcome. Because see, there were a bunch of deaths that occurred when we, when we joined with Jesus in our hearts and gave our lives to him. We died to sin. We died to the law. We died to ourselves. We bear our cross every day. We died to the world. We're no longer residents. We, we, we live here in this world for a time being. But our home is in heaven. We're ambassadors here for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. That means we are representatives of our Father in heaven. Amen. I take that very, very seriously. I don't always do the greatest at it, but I sure want to. Amen. I sure want to make him proud, you know. God's riches at Christ's expense. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, or the faith of the Son of God, which is better said. It's Christ's own faith that is inside of me, who loved me and gave himself for me. And some folks will say, well, you know, I have, I have a dentist friend who's on my rodeo committee, or he was, I like him very much. He told me, he said, yeah, he said, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't mind church. A really smart, educated man, awesome guy. He said, I just don't, I, I don't think they should have the right to tell me what to think and how to live. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> I said, you need somebody to tell you how to think and how to live because the world has told you wrong, and all the Lord wants to do is tell you right. He goes, well, I think I can be a pretty good judge of that. In other words, he's outsmarted himself. 
got too big for his britches, my mama would have said. And that's a scary place to be. People say, well, I only have one life to live. I have to do it my way. That's very foolish. That ain't living, folks. That ain't living. I used to think that way. And I didn't realize that I was dead. I was dead even though I was still walking around and sucking air. I was really dead. I didn't find true life until I found Jesus Christ or he found me. Amen. Now, everything that he has, everything that, that belongs to the kingdom of God belongs to me too. Belongs to you too. Belongs to you too. You're a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. And it says right here in Mark chapter 10, Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. People talking about, well, I, I'll get around to that sometime before I die. You know how many, you want to know, look at me. Do I, I know I look older now than I, than I feel. But I'm not that old. But I'm the oldest man in my family. Wow. And there used to be a bunch of us. They all did. My only brother, all my cousins, my uncles. <clears throat> you don't always get that chance, you see. In the kingdom of God, there's only one day, and it's called today. And we never promise tomorrow. Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. Jesus said, here, here we are again, folks, and I, I just got to tell you, Peter has stuck his foot in it again. Uh, because they were, <clears throat> Jesus was talking about how hard it was to be saved, and he made it sound like it was impossible, really. And they were freaking out, these disciples, and they're like, well, who can be saved then? And Jesus looked and he said, well, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Praise God. <laughs> and then here goes Peter. I'll back up to verse 28. Peter began to say to him, see, we left everything and followed you. Open mouth, insert foot. <laughs> Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one. Does that anyone fit into that category? Are you someone? Okay. So there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold return now in this time, in this life. Hundredfold return in this life, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution 
and in the age to come, eternal life. Amen. That's the best part. But listen, you don't have to wait until you get to heaven to enjoy eternal life. Yes. That starts the moment you, you put your trust in Jesus Christ too. Because the definition of eternal life, Jesus gave in John 17, 3, said, Father, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and your son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's the meaning of life, folks. So you want to go find yourself, I can save you the trip and the gas money. <laughs> it's all about knowing God. Praise God. So listen, when I say you can expect a hundredfold return, I believe it. Why? Bible said it. Jesus said it. My, my Bible, probably a little less expensive than some. It doesn't have red letters. But if it did, those are red letters. <laughs> Jesus said it. That settles it for me. You see? So you, my point about that is the folks that feel like they're just going to be missing out on something if they turn their life over to the Lord. You're not. Right. You're never going to outgive God, and you're never going to find your true uh, place in this world, your position in this world, your purpose in this life until you surrender it to Jesus Christ. That's just a fact. I've never had anyone tell me, man, I just, I wish I would have just, you know, I went, just went on that one more bachelor party or the, went to Vegas one more time, and, you know, or just uh, just tried heroin, you know, once, you know, before I, I, went, I went to Jesus. No, I've never had anyone tell me anything except, man, I, uh, if I could do anything to keep people from waiting as long as I did, I will. I'll help them. The smartest thing I did. I don't know what took me so long. I, that's my testimony too. Not about the heroin. I never did any needles, but I did a, I did plenty of other junk. But the word says it, but we have to what? Believe it. We know that the grace of God is, is the power and provision of God provided through the atonement and it includes deliverance and salvation and healing physical healing prosperity love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control, all of the character of God, all of that by grace amen? amen but you have to put faith you have to put your trust in it that your faith is the hand that reaches out and obtains the things provided by grace Amen. and brings them from this spiritual realm where they are already on deposit it's our faith is that dipping cup that reaches down into the well and brings it out in, into this realm where we can benefit from it Amen. that makes sense God is a covenant God. You are blood-bought child of God. And that blood, one drop, when Jesus walked into heaven, dripping with blood, you see, no one 
even believe even even people waiting dying who believe, were believing on the Messiah to come, who believed in God, they didn't go to heaven when they died before Jesus. They went to paradise, which used to be down in the earth next to hell, with a great chasm separating it. When Jesus went down and went to hell, he said, Jesus didn't go to hell. Yes, he did, or you would have. But when he came back and he preached to those people who didn't believe during Noah's day when they all died in that flood, and he preached to them. So it sounded like they had opportunity. God, it's so good. But anyway, when he ascended, he took them with him. But first he had to go in. No, nothing unholy could enter into heaven, you see? Jesus had to go in first. And that, that temple that Moses had been shown a, a model of in heaven and he we duplicated it here on earth, a small version of it. There's a real one in heaven just like it. Yes. And Jesus walked in there and he placed his blood right there on the mercy seat of heaven. So when God used to look down through that mercy seat and see, see the, uh, the broken Ten Commandments, reminding him of our sin, we saw the, the rod, the staff of Aaron, which reminded him of that had budded almonds and that had reminded him of uh, our rebellion against his leadership in the earth. You know, when he used to look down and see all of our ugly reminder, now all he saw was the blood of Jesus. And then he took them all, come on in, now it's safe. Come on, paradise moved to heaven. Amen. Amen. So now, death has lost its sting. I can see how much you, you love the Lord. He's got special plans for you. You know that, don't you? You feel it inside, don't you? There's a call on your life. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. It's that thief, that devil that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We need to put our trust in that covenant. We need to put our faith in that covenant. Romans chapter 10, I think if I go there, I'll spend too much time. But it talks about the law of faith. Faith is a spiritual law at work. Whether you learn to cooperate with it or not, only determines the extent to which you will benefit or not. But it's a real thing. Just like gravity is a real thing. When, you're, when you are smaller, mama taught you about gravity. You're going to fall off that bed. Boom. <laughs> right? Had to teach you gravity, you know. When we get a little older, we climb up on the garage and we, we get our wings, whatever we made them out of, we, we can try it. We realize gravity is a real thing. And now it's a good thing that God's made because it keeps us from flying off of planet Earth. That's right. <laughs> Keep them off from being astronauts. But if we don't respect it and learn to cooperate with it, it can kill us. You step off that Empire State Building, 
your history, and you can't blame God for it because it's something he made to protect us and, and to take care of us. Same way with all of his spiritual laws, and faith is one of those laws at work, and we need to learn to cooperate with it. It's a spiritual force, and faith comes, doesn't it? The Bible teaches that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and then faith speaks. It's, it's in your heart. How does it get there? By hearing, by hearing the word. This word is eternal. The great Oral Roberts, who was just a man like us, you know? I think it's kind of cool that every great man of God, a great preacher of God, you can think of a big piece of stupid they all did too. <laughs> and I'm not picking on anybody. It, it makes me feel better about me. I think God... I think every now and then in every great man or woman of God's life, God just steps out of the way and just lets them get full of themselves and just do something really stupid so that they can say, listen, man, anything good attributed to God, anything dumb, I did that. I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> but Oral Roberts was a great man of God, even though he did a couple dumb things. <laughs> but when he was older and dying just like all of the great generals in the body of Christ ministers go flocking to them to try to get a word from them to get the hands laid on them to get a prayer you know things like that anyway he told he told Kenneth Copeland he said listen there's uh, there's five things you need to know about faith um, he said first of all believe in your heart and then say it with your mouth I mean, these are simple things, but this is, this is, this is all scriptural, and it's all, I mean, I, I, I'm the type that like to have myself a little checklist, not to make a rules out of it, uh, or legalism out of it, or work out of it, but just a reminder, do myself a little checkup from the neck up. Am I in faith? It says examine your, the Bible says examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. So he said, Believe in your heart and then say it with your mouth. Two, faith will not work in an unforgiving heart. Three, Abraham's blessing, which is for us, amen, cannot be received with Thomas's faith. What that means is that Jesus said to Thomas, he said, quit being faithless. He, he, he didn't say... He, so Thomas didn't doubt. Thomas refused to believe. He said, I will. My free will, I'm asserting my free will. I will not believe unless I see the holes in your hands and the, and the holes in his feet. Faith calls those things that be not as though they were. Amen? Faith requires or literally demands corresponding actions. And I know I can look at that list quickly and I can see where I, I, jump, I get off in faith a lot of times. And it's generally, well, if we're all honest, we'll, we'll, we'll find ourselves from time to time stuck on number two with, a, with an unforgiving heart. Things slip in that we don't even realize. Um, 
I find myself sometimes that I'm, I'm believing for something. I'm standing on, I'm saying that I'm standing on faith, but uh, I'm not calling those things that be not as though they were. So I'm not, I'm not saying. My wife always says, faith has feet and lips. You know, so you're going to, faith, if you're really operating in faith, it's going to cause you to speak that way. It's going to cause you to act that way. Because in Mark eleven twenty four it says, believe you have what you pray for when you pray and you shall have it. Well, the world says, well, let me see it. Then I'll believe it. God says, no. That's not the way I work. That's not the way the law of faith works. It's, it's a kingdom of opposites. And the sooner we get that straight, the sooner we will start benefiting from all of the spiritual laws that God has in place for our benefit. Amen. They're not hidden from us. They're hidden for us. And they're foolishness to the world, and they're supposed to be. Because God likes to mock those that mock him for some reason. <laughs> and do things just the opposite of how they think with their, their brilliant minds how it should be done. He says, no, watch this. I'm serious, folks. And if you'll just believe God, and if God said it, that settles it. Well, I'm believing for a new car. Okay. Go clean that side of the garage out. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I want a new house. Clean the one you have. <laughs> you know? Pay somebody else's electric bill. Oh, I really wish we had a church of our own. Give to other ministries who are going places and doing things that you want yours to do and give until it hurts when everybody else would be saying shouldn't you be saving that money to put toward that new place I'm investing it wisely hundredfold return James brother of Jesus they have different dads. <laughs> Five chapter book. So it's a book on faith and grace. James chapter 1 verse 22. What does it say? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So we want to put action to what we're believing for. Amen? Amen. And you can... You can just think of different ways what that means. It's like, what am, I, what am I? You know, it's fair to just sit down and just say, Lord, what am I believing for? Am I believing for anything? You know, seriously? Sometimes you'll find you're really not. You're just coasting, you know, and hoping like the world hopes. What I mean by that is I go and pray for people sometimes and I say, you know, the Lord wants you well. I hope so. I say, well, first we got to fix that. That ain't hoping. <laughs> That's worldly hope. And godly hope is a confident expectation of good from God. And so we need to get you there. And then we're going to pray and believe together. Amen. So that's the difference. And find out, Lord, what am I believing for? What am I believing for? And what have I done? Have I been saying that? Have I, 
Have I been saying, speaking like I've, I've already gotten what I've been praying for? Am I, am I talking like that or am I talking like I'm still sick? I heard Jesse DePlanis say one time, he's screaming at the top of his lungs, I don't care about your am sick, I want to hear about you were healed. I was like, ah, yeah, he's right. You know, some people could be a little more delicate the way they do things, I guess. But sometimes, you know, Smith Wigglesworth would punch people in the stomach and in the back and then they'd get healed of tumors and stuff. He said, yeah, why are you so mean to the people? He said, I love the people. Sometimes the devil gets in the way. I'm trying to hit the devil. <laughs> kicked the baby off the stage one time. Wow. They caught him when he did it. It was healed. Had a big brain tumor. Wow. My faith isn't that strong yet. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see the results he did, but people say that and then they say, well, are you willing to do the things that these other ministers do, you know, and believe? the way they speak, the way they live, the way they're dedicated to the Lord. He wouldn't even let a newspaper in his home. Only the King James Bible. So that's all he was full of. So there was no unbelief. You see, a lot of times we have the faith because we all have the measure of faith. Just like you're going through the chow line, the measure. <laughs> Everybody got the same one. So we don't need more faith, we need less unbelief. And the unbelief comes from the world. From some of the times our friends. <laughs> because sometimes when we really need a godly friend who will remind us of what the Lord says, what the Bible says, say, oh man, I'm really sorry this happened to you. You know, you know, and just cry with you for a minute and say, listen, let's, let's pray. Let's pray for that person that did that to you. Let's pray for your situation. And let's, let's find a couple of scriptures to stand on. That's a friend. Sometimes, though, we would rather pick up the phone and call the other friend. The one that will agree with us in the flesh. Oh, you ain't got to put up with that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. That's not your friend. That's really not your friend. They might think they are. I'm not saying that they're, they're the devil, but, but they're, mis, they're misled too, you know. What you need is those godly friends that'll hold you accountable and love you and, and help you to keep a, a forgiving heart. All right, I'm going to get to the end here because we need to be done. Your, your minds can only absorb as much as your seats can endure. <laughs> But Proverbs 4 does say out of the out of the heart, the heart of man flow the issues of life. Amen. And one of the things that uh, you think about a fountain flowing in, with water, right? As long as that water is flowing, it's not clogged up, right? Yeah. All the trash of this life and the bitterness and unforgiveness and the bad attitudes and all that stuff that hinders your prayers. Keep the waters flowing. I recommend praying in tongues all the time, but some of you, maybe not quite there yet, love to help you with that. It's powerful. But here's what I want to say to you today. 
the devil, the devil's favorite deception. Remember when I, on January the, uh, the 12th, night of the 12th and into the 13th, I told you guys about that. The night, night long open vision and then dream and then back to open vision. It was all about the deception of the devil in the end times and the different different arenas of this world that it played was playing out in and how how demonic it all was. But one of the devil's favorite deceptions and tactics is to always try and make it about you. You understand what I'm saying? You're not good enough. He wants you feeling condemned. Condemned just when you condemn a building, it's unfit for you, you see? And devil wants you feeling that way. He wants you to think, well, maybe these other folks can do this, but not me. And he has a unique way of making each and every one of us, no matter how many good things you have going, to just focus on the negative that only you know, and he reminds you of the things. You know what you did. You know who you are. That grace isn't for you. And, he, and even though we know it's a lie, we can get to a place where we just believe it. He always wants to turn it about, turn it back to being about you. And if he can get you to focus on you and get you so introspective, he will he will keep you beat down and dejected so you're so you're not very useful for, for, for yourself, for your family, for your friends, for the kingdom of God, or anything else. He'll keep you depressed and oppressed and all that nonsense. Here's what you do. Every time he tries to make it about you, you turn it back to making it about Jesus. I mean, it sounds simple, but this is going to, I want you to practice something. I want you to practice this this week. Every time you start feeling low or you start thinking about yourself and, and your flaws and your, and your mistakes and the things like that. Start thinking about everything that Jesus has accomplished on your behalf. Because everything good that Jesus has done is all credited to your account. And when God looks at you, that's what he sees. Amen. Your sins and your flaws and your mistakes, he has removed them as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't even want to, he doesn't even remember them anymore. You know who brings them up to him? You. And he's like, please stop that. I forgave you. Please stop bringing that up. Here's what, here's, here's how this came about with me. Because I'm really believing for to grow this church. And of course, it's God doing it all in his timing, in his way. But if you're not careful... You get to thinking about too many things and you start getting people that you love and care about you and all that in your ear and you're asking them. I mean, it's not just their fault. You tell me, man, just tell me what I need to do. Tell me what's, tell me what, tell me this, tell me that, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Huh? Next thing you know, that's where you're at. And then 
I'm asking Jesus to go ahead, Lord, hit me with it. Tell me what's wrong with me. Just, just tell me so I can fix it. Fix me. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And and this went on for about a week, and and he just didn't say anything for a second. And then I heard him say, "Why don't you ask me what's right with you?" And my lightning fast mind, <laughs> I went, oh, that's my problem right now. I'm just, I got that devil tricked me into getting into all the negative and what's wrong with me and what should I be doing and what have I done wrong? And Jesus said, what? Why don't you ask me what's right? And so I did. And man... He just started telling me all these really cool things. You know? He loves us. He likes us. And he's fun. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 of the love chapter, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it's not rude, it's patient. All these wonderful things, that's God. That's how he thinks about you. We read that as an instruction list of how we're supposed to love. You see, we just put ourselves under the law again. No, that's how he thinks of us. And we need to know that. The whole reason sin was one of the things he had to deal with on the cross to get it out of the way because God is perfect and holy and he, he couldn't have that sin between us. So Jesus said, Dad, I'll go. And God poured, put all of our sin on him on the cross, poured out all the judgment and punishment for that sin on him on the cross. Now it's out of the way. When he sees you, he sees Jesus. So quit worrying about all the, the wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't ask him. You know, when our conscience is defiled, that's the part of us that knows him. And we just go back and say, Lord, you know, I've... I've feel right about this. I'm sorry about that. And he's like, okay, I love you. And I'm glad you came to me about that. And do you, you know, if you need help with it, he's, he has a very positive ministry and a very positive way of getting you fixed up without, without making you feel rejected and neglected and unfit. You know what I'm saying? In a loving way. So this week, I want you to do that. Just practice. Practice one week. God, show me what's right with me. Show me what's right with me. And then thank him for it. Because he did all that. He gave you all that. And he loves those things about you. He wants to tell you about them. And just start thanking him and saying, well, man. So let me just, let me just give those back to you. Praise goes up. Blessings come down. It'll make you thankful. It'll build your confidence. It'll, feel, it'll build up your love. It'll build up your faith. It'll build up your compassion. Start doing it for others too. The people you've been criticizing in your prayers, say, Lord, show me what's right about them. Show me what happened to them. And then just start praying for them. It's hard to be angry with someone that you're praying for. And watch what happens. Because then you're going to get into a place of love and faith and compassion. And what we've been talking about, a life 
a life that looks like the book of Acts where the end times bride, the church is walking in power and love and victory and all the gifts of the spirit and you're prophesying and you're laying hands and healing the sick and telling them about a Jesus that died and loves for them and loves them. Those gifts are going to begin to flow out of your overflow. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Y'all gonna will y'all join in with me that with that this week with doing that? Just raise your hand if you say, Lord. Lord, I, 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 I think I understand this. I, I, I think I might have been one of those who just, I was so concerned with all my, my negative that I forgot that you created, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I want to focus, I want you to help me to see all the good things about me that you created me to be and to do and to help me with those things. Show me your love for me. And out of that overflow, Lord, I want to be a blessing. I want to be a blessing. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. The Lord is right here in this room. He's watching you. He's touching you. I see the Lord just walking road after row. He's just laying hands on each and every one of you. He's filling you up with his Holy Spirit right now. Just say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Just begin to thank him all week. And just to talk to him about this. Just stay on this this subject, what's right with me, what's right with these other people that I've had maybe problems with. Show me the good in other people. Even the people that I love that I haven't had a problem with. Just show me more about what's right with them so I can go tell them, you know what God showed me about you? And he loves us about you. And just share it with them. You're going to be a blessing. You're going to see people. You're going to see tears in people's eyes. I see some of you just the in CVS or HEB or wherever it is you go and you're going to say, you know what God showed me about you? And they're going to expect, you know what they're going to expect? A criticism. And if they're religious, they'll just brace themselves and just ready to receive it. Get that whooping and say, no, he, he, he just told me how much he loves you and how sweet and how kind you are. And he wants you to know, he wants you to know that he notices this about you, and he sees it. And he just—it's one of the things he loves about you. You know, this is the life we're called to. We're worrying about all the ugly stuff. Focus on the grace of God for you, the love of God towards you, and you're going to live holier on accident than you ever did by trying. Heavenly Father, thank you for this precious day. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for taking the time to tell us about that, Lord. Thank you that we are special in your eyes. Thank you that you love us and you're going to continue to grow us up. And, and when we, we do need correction, you'll, you'll do it in a way, Lord, that is kind and, and tender because we have confidence that you do love us and you don't want to harm us. Thank you for showing us all the good things about us and others, Lord, and helping us to be a blessing that we can go and lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, that we'll have words of prophecy to speak over them that are edifying, that build them up. We will be prophet prophets, not non-profit prophets. We thank you, Lord, for everything you are and everything you've done 
and everything you continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.